Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 reads, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy written word that unveils to us the living Christ. As we study it this morning, we thank you for ears to hear, hearts that are receptive, minds that are open. We thank you for the Holy Ghost to teach us, to enlighten us, to instruct us, and to guide us into all truth. And also to quicken us according unto your holy written word that we may rise up as doers thereof and not hearers only. We'll give you the glory for what's accomplished. I thank you for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to write the word upon the table of our hearts, dear Father God. We bless you now, Father, for all that's accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In 1 Timothy 6 and 12, we discover that we are in a fight. And that is a fight of faith. Fight means to contend in battle or combat. It means to put forth a determined effort. It means to prevent the success or effectiveness of a thing. And of course, we know some of those things to be the enemy, evil, sin, sickness, disease, and all sorts of other things. The success of the flesh, the senses, outside forces, peer pressure, whatever it is, emotional distress, hurt, anxiety, perplexity, fear, worry, all these different things. Believers are engaged in a fight. And that fight means we are to put forth effort, determined effort, that we are not going to be defeated, but will prevent the success or the effectiveness of these forces so that they don't destroy our lives. And, of course, in 2 Timothy 4 and 6, since we're close there, just go ahead and turn to it. For I am now ready to be offered, Paul said, and the time of my departure is at hand, 2 Timothy 4, 6. I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. Sounds like to me that he was in battles. Sounds to me as if he was putting forth a determined effort. Sounds to me as though Paul was doing all that he could to prevent the success or the effectiveness of the enemy. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. God has a course for all of our lives. And he wants us to finish the course that he has. But many distractions try to prevent us or hinder us from accomplishing this. We're to fight. Now, Paul says, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And that's how he finished his course. He began in faith, for the just shall live by faith. He was sustained by faith and finished his course in faith. And verse 8 says, the result would be, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also that love his appearing. So we're engaged in a fight 
But it's a fight to the finish. It is a fight to the end. Amen? Absolutely. Sometimes we forget that or we don't keep that before us or in the forefront of our minds. And as soon as we engage difficulty or encounter hindrances in our lives, we have a setback. And we think that something is is not right with us. So we feel as though that maybe our Christian experience is not what it should be or our, our faith level is not where it should be. Some have actually thought that just because they were one of faith, that they were immune to sickness or disease or immune to the attacks of the enemy or immune to roadblocks or mountains being put in a way or exempt from experiencing life storms. I recall when I first got a hold of the faith message, many that had that attitude. Or they have the, the misconception of, of that. If you're in faith, in other words, then you're not going to have these things happen to you. Now, I understand that as they were listening to faith preachers teach and preach the faith message, they were only half hearing what was being said. And of course, there's always that tendency for us to share victories and not defeats. How many of you know that? Who likes talking about defeat? Anybody here like talking about defeat and negativism? Absolutely not. And so we share the victory. And the, the victory that we share... What does it do? It inspires others to use faith, correct? And we want to do that. I mean, if I stood up here all day and, you know, for the next hour talking about all the defeats or all the problems, all the roadblocks and setbacks and all negativism, what would that do to inspire your faith at the end of the message to say, well, now, come on and believe God for something? It wouldn't do a thing, would it? And so very often, you know, we we just hear one side of it. Now, even though you may share in your testimony a part of the battle along the way, Many just let that just, just kind of just roll off them like water off of a duck's back, you know, and, then, and they don't hear that part of it or that aspect of it. But we have to keep an open mind and we've got to recognize that we're all exposed to these things that oppose us, every one of us. And no faith teacher would ever tell anybody that they're immune or exempt from anything, immune to sickness or disease or an attack of the enemy. And so I believe that mindset has to be corrected. And in those that it was, where it was not corrected, they just went off and departed from the faith walk because they felt as if, well, you know, this, this just doesn't work. Because what they're saying is not true. But they're only half hearing what's really being taught or what's really being said. And so we want to clarify some things and so that we can get a better understanding of what the faith life is all about. Faith is the most exciting walk, Amen. beloved, a, a person can walk in. Amen. And as a believer, you're really not going to be victorious in your Christian experience unless you understand the faith walk. And the reason for that is because faith makes reality out of religion. Faith makes the power of God available and active on a person's behalf. Faith takes the unrealities of hope and brings them into the realm of reality and we can say, here it is, it's mine, I've got it now. Faith takes one out of the realm of, well, I hope I get helped. Into the realm of, the Lord is my helper. And He has helped me overcome this problem in life. Faith takes one out of the realm of, I hope I'm going to get healed someday. Into the realm of, I believe I have received my healing and therefore I have it now. And thank God, His Word is above symptoms. Which gives opportunity for God to work. And that confession of faith completes our faith and does what? Allows God to work, to watch over that Word, to make it good by the power of His Spirit. And so, beloved, those that say, well, you people that are of faith are extremists, read the Bible. You better become an extremist when it comes to believing God. 
Well, you're narrow-minded. You think God will do anything for you. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way. Be narrow-minded. I believe there's only one way to God. His name is Jesus. Is that narrow-minded? You're right, it is. And I don't mind admitting that I'm narrow-minded when it comes to that. Oh, have an open mind. You know what can get into an open mind? Think about it. Oh, there's all kinds of ways. We all believe in the same God. It doesn't matter how you get there. Oh, really? What about I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man cometh to the Father but by me. Oh, you're narrow-minded. And I like it. Don't you? It's the only way to be. One way. His name is Jesus. So you see, beloved, we've got to be of this mindset that faith has got to be properly understood. It doesn't mean we have magic. But what it does mean is that we've got to put forth a lot of determined effort. And we've got to be ready to fight. Because whatever produces reality with God is going to be challenged by an enemy. You know that. And when you start walking along the lines of faith, beloved, you will be challenged every step of the way. And you know what? The biggest challenge will not come from without. I mean that. The biggest challenge will be in yourself. Because your senses will war against your spirit. And your senses will scream out and say, you're sick, you're sick, you're sick. And your body and your feelings will scream out and say, you're sick, you're sick. And you're sick. But then you look over to the word. It'll say, with the stripes, you were healed. And the battle begins. Who do I believe? What do I believe? The doctor gave you the report that said, you're sick, you're sick, you're sick. You'll die, you'll die, you'll die. You open up the book, Psalm 118. It says, you will live and not die and declare the works of God. And the battle begins. You talk about double-minded, report, back and forth. Double-minded, back and forth, back and forth. No one said it was easy. No one said there would never be a fight. No one said the people is exempt, that anyone is exempt. But the, the idea is this. This is truth, beloved. And rather than bringing the truth to a place of our level, let's rise up to the level of truth revealed to us in the Word of God. And let's make a determined effort to put forth the energy that is necessary to see to it that we can prevent the success of the enemy in distracting us and getting us off our faith course. Now, turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Acts. We talked about this somewhat on Wednesday evening. For those of you that were here, for those of you that were not here, I want to reiterate just a little bit here and continue on. I said I would pick it up, and so I want to do that. But in Acts chapter 28... Paul the Apostle was one who understood the faith walk. But he also understood because of his proper perception of the faith walk that walking in faith did not mean he was immune to attack. He knew that he would always be exposed to danger, exposed to the attack of the enemy, exposed to the unseen forces of darkness, exposed to sickness and disease germs. Exposed to anything that could come his way. He knew that. And when he had an attack of the enemy or even in a situation of an accident, he didn't become unglued. He didn't fall apart at the seams. 
He didn't start criticizing himself or, or questioning his own relationship with God. He didn't then stomp around saying this faith business mustn't work. And all those teachers out there must be extremists and they're, they're hyper faith people. He didn't start talking like that. Because, you know, really, if it was all true, if it were all true, then, then this would have never happened to me. He didn't have that mindset or mentality. He didn't cross over into the mindset of um, self-pity. That syndrome that says, well, now, why did it happen to me? I love God and I serve God. See, if we have that kind of mentality, we're at a disadvantage before the enemy. It doesn't matter who we are, our race, our religious background, you know, our economic standing. It doesn't matter what our status is in society. Anyone and everyone is exempt. Is not, no one is exempt. Everyone is exposed to the storms of life. Jesus said that. You can be sure of the fact that the storms of life will come your way. Because Jesus said they would, didn't he? And so he realized that. It wasn't a strange thing to him, like Peter said. Don't think it to be something strange. It's not a strange thing that you've been attacked of the enemy. Or that sickness has tried to take your life. And don't be of the mindset that, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a faith believer. It should have never touched my body. Because, once again, you'll be in a state of confusion, wonderment. You'll question your own position before the Lord. You have sin consciousness, probably guilt and condemnation. And you know what? You can't fight spiritual battles with all that confusion going on because where there's confusion, there's every evil work. Evil is at work within our members. And what does that do? It shuts down the operational power of God. I want you to see something here about the Apostle Paul. Acts 28.1 And when they were escaped... Then they knew that the island was called Melita, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer. Whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Now, at this point, you can only imagine what is happening in Paul's mind. If he lived in, the, in this 20th century, I mean, you can think about it. Think about it. Believers today. Something like that happens, he's going to die. He should die because of that bite. And the, the poisonous venom that was going through his system that began its work. He could have just said, why me? Why did this have to happen to me? I'm a faith believer. I'm serving God with my life. I didn't want to be here. I didn't even want to get on the ship. I had to. I've been serving God. They bound me up in these chains. They put me on that ship. They wouldn't take my advice. They wouldn't hear a word I had to say. Now, God, you're supposed to protect me from all this. What is going on? I guess this faith business mustn't work. Beloved, you can be right there in the center of God's will for your life. And whether it be by an accident, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, it can happen. You can be attacked. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you or me. It doesn't mean it, we haven't kept up with our faith confessions this morning. You know, Paul thought, oh my goodness, I only said it ten times today, not eleven if I would have said it one more time, it would not have happened. 
We can get off on some tangents, beloved, when it comes to these things, because really our mindset, you know, we hear things differently. We think things differently and we think we're saying one thing. Well, had I just said it one more time, maybe it wouldn't have happened. No, you can't war with all that, especially at a time like this. What did Paul do in that situation? Well, I know he probably called for the elders of the church to come and anoint him with all. They would have come to anoint a corpse. There was no time for that. He called up the prayer group. There was no time for that. Or are you saying, are you, you know, speaking out against those things? Not at all. They have their place. But, you know, there's not time for some of those things. In the life that we live, when our lives are in danger, there's just not time for that. You better get a hold of God immediately, if not sooner. Correct? So what did he do? He shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. That's what he did. He shook off the beast. Beloved, I absolutely believe that it was because that his perception of faith was accurate. He understood that he was serving God. He knew the Word of God. He knew how to reach God. He knew his authority in God. And as a result, when that situation occurred, even though it was accidental... We don't want to attribute everything to a devil or a demon or something like that and don't magnify the work of darkness. Things can happen accidentally. As I said, being in the wrong place at the wrong time can cause something like that to happen. And there are situations, and we'll look at that a little bit later, where others were bitten by snakes as a result of their own sin. But here, Paul was in the perfect will of God. He knew how to reach God. He knew how to speak the Word, to use His authority. He knew what belonged to Him in Christ. And as a result of His knowing, and beloved, get a hold of this once again, as a result of His knowing in His time of absolute need, when there was no time for plan B whatsoever, He did what He knew He had to do, and thank God He knew how to do it. Because if he would have entered into a state of confusion, wonderment, and self-pity, I mean, if anyone this should have happened to should have been Peter. Probably what he would have said. (laughs) Think about it. But not Paul. Doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't matter who you are. If, if the enemy attacked Jesus, you know he's going to attack you. <laughs> he's going to attack me. All of us. Well, he shook off the beast into the fire and he felt no harm. Now, to shake means to free oneself. He freed himself. Do you see that? He turned himself loose or he got rid of. How did he do it? He shook it off. Did you ever uh, get into this predicament? And it's always where there's people looking. You get something stuck to your hand and you want to get it off. And so you take it with the other hand and you're going to throw it in a wastebasket and it sticks to your hand. And so you get it with the other hand and like that and it sticks to this hand. And then now you're so embarrassed because everybody's trying to wa- watching you trying to get this thing off of your hand. And you are an adult, you know, <laughs> and it just won't come off. And, and finally, you know, you start shaking it. 
get that thing off. Do you ever do that? You know, get rid of that thing? Sometimes we try to get the devil off us like this. You know? Like that? And we thought we took care of it, but there it is again. You know? And, and there it is again. Sometimes you've got to shake. And I'm not talking about a literal, physical shaking like that. I'm talking about a spiritual quake that you create with your authority that shakes the foundation of darkness that rumbles so loud and causes so much noise that Satan absolutely trembles in fear as you have resisted him by the authority of the name of Jesus. And you shake that kingdom of darkness so violently that it just falls off. And you loose yourself, you rid yourself of the poisonous venom of sickness or disease, germs or whatever. Now, this is a healing meeting, so we're talking about sickness and disease. Just as that was poison that was about to to be effective in destroying his life. And remember what we said the fight was all about? Preventing the success of the enemy. Or the success of sickness or disease or the effectiveness of venomous poison from destroying your life or taking your life. So whatever it is, fight the good fight of faith. This was a part of his faith fight. This was a part of his faith life that enabled him to finish his course as God would have him finish his course. God was on his side all the time. God was in his inward parts all the time. But, beloved, it was his faith by his understanding of the authority of the word and that God had placed within him by the name of Jesus that he could shake the very kingdom of darkness. He could shake from off off from himself the, the venomous beast and also rid himself of the effectiveness of the poison that began to go into his bloodstream. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 10. I believe that some of these scriptures served as a foundation for his faith. In Luke's gospel, chapter 10, and verse 19, now we understand that this has a spiritual meaning, but also you'll see in Mark 16, it carries with it a natural meaning. And if we'll understand it, I believe that we can have a stronger or a greater faith when it comes to shaking off the works of darkness. The poisonous venom, if you will, of the enemy and ridding ourselves of that bondage. Not allowing its success or its effectiveness in our lives. Whether it be sickness or disease. Whether it be um, any other type of attack or opposition. In Luke 10, in verse 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over some of the power of the enemy. You don't like that translation. You don't like that paraphrase. You want to change it back to what it says. How much of the power of the enemy? All the power of the enemy And only a few things shall by any means hurt you. What does that say? Nothing shall by any means. I really thank you for this lesson today. 
He knew that God gave him power over all the power of the enemy, all the authority of darkness. And you know what? That authority even rises up above the natural function of a serpent and its poisonous venom. There's enough authority and power in the name of Jesus that can be released through faith that will actually counteract the poisonous venom of a snake. And you look at that text in Mark's Gospel 16. Look, going back to Mark and just look at verse, chapter 16 and verse 17 and 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And all this was given to those that stood for the gospel because he knew the dangers that existed not only in the spiritual realm of life, but also in the natural realm of life. Now, he's not talking about handling snakes or serpents like so many foolishly do. He's talking about in situations like Paul's. He's busy doing the work of the Lord. He's living for God. And a situation arose. And you know what, beloved? He could have had all the theology in the world. Theology is not going to bring reality unless it's an applied theology. He could have said, now, snake, I belong to the such and such church down the street. I've been an usher there for 17 years. I've served on the board. You should have heard the sermon the preacher preached last week. I took notes. <laughs> you think that that venomous beast would have even considered any of that? And, mind you, I was baptized in the river. What good is that going to do? No good at all. It has to be an applied theology. Faith is applying the principles of the Word of God to a life in a practical way. And if we don't have that, we don't have anything. What he did was he shook off that serpent, beloved, by the authority of the name of Jesus and expected to live and not die and finish the work of God. Just like John, as the tradition says, oh, so they tried to boil him in oil. But you know, he had to finish the work of God. Just like those three Hebrew children in the burning fire furnace. You want to talk about hyper faith? Hyper faith? Well, now, who can, who can save after this sort? What God can save you? From a burning fire furnace like that. If your body goes in there, what kind of a God? Who is the God that can save you? And they said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter, okay? Our God, whom we serve with our lives. I like this. He is able and He will. You know what? Can I meddle just a little bit? You know that they did not say, he's able, or he can, and if it be his will. He didn't say that. They didn't say that. They asked an honest question, 
and got an honest answer. What God can save after this sort, our God can. Everybody knows that God can, at least we should in the realm of Christianity. But not too many know that God will for them when they need it. That's what faith is all about. My God can, my God will. I'll go a step beyond that. The God I know, the Father I know, He's eagerly yearning. Can I explain that in my terms? He's chomping at the bit. He's chomping at the bit. He can't wait to deliver His people. He can't wait to help His people. He can't wait to help His own. He's eagerly yearning. He wants to help us more than we want Him to help us ourselves. They knew their God. And by faith, they weren't hyper-faith. They knew God. It seems like hyper. It seems like extreme. I mean, think about it. Who wouldn't be classified as an extremist if you said, I believe that my God will save me out of that burning fire furnace. And if you read that, I'm going to have to do it. Going back to Daniel chapter 3. I have to do it. So, (laughs) have to do it. Because this scripture has been so abused by preachers, someone's got to get them straightened out. Oh, help me, Lord. I know I got a lot to get straightened out, but this is, I'm straightened out here. Amen. Some wonderful men of God have actually thought that these Hebrew children were doubting whether or not God would do it. And they were saying, well, if it be so that He does, then He might and He might not. But that's not what was being said here. In Daniel chapter 3... You notice in verse 15, the king told him exactly what they had to do. Now, if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, sack, but solary, dulcimer, and all the kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image. But if ye worship not, now notice what happened, ye shall be cast the same, same hour into the midst of a burning fire furnace. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're fearful to answer you in this matter. You're really on the ball today. I like that. We're not careful to answer you in this matter. We should know our God so well. When someone comes into your face and says, Now, here's your problem. What are you going to do now? We should respond like they did. We're not careful. We're not full of anxiety. We're not perplexed about this situation. Notice this. If it be so, they answered. What does that apply to? What is that in reference to? If it be so that you throw us into the burning, fiery furnace. Here's their answer, their response. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. From the burning fire furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. That was the answer. That was the response. If you throw us in. But if not, does not mean if God doesn't. It means, but if you don't throw us in. Can you see that? If you read over it lightly. And just skim over it. It's, you think in your mind, oh, but if he doesn't. No, that's not in reference. If it be so is if you throw us in. Remember he said, if you, if you bow down and serve, we won't throw you in. But if you don't, we will. 
Remember that? Well, he says, well, if you throw us in, here's our response. Our God that we serve is able, and he will. But if you don't throw us in, well, what does he finish saying? He says, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods. Now, wait a minute. But if not, if that, if that applied to, if, you don't, if, if God doesn't deliver us out of the burning fire furnace, how can you as ashes serve any God? Is that understandable? But if God doesn't deliver us out of the furnace, we still won't bow down to your God. No, no kidding. No kidding. I mean, I need a, you know, an education to believe that. Goodness. No, but if not means if you don't throw us in. In other words, if you welt, if you back out and still you don't throw us in, we still won't bow down to worship your God. But if you throw us in, our God is able and he will. I like that. That's faith. That's faith. That's knowing God. It's so important to understand that. Okay, now let's go on back to Acts chapter 10. And let's see something here. We've got to be of the mindset, beloved, that God views sickness and disease as poisonous venom, as satanic oppression, as satanic bondage. And notice he shook off means he got rid of from himself or he loosed himself from. He freed himself from. And that shaking means a quake. It means a quivering. It doesn't mean just a trying to pull like we oftentimes try to do. You know, we're too nice with the devil. Like, maybe we don't want anybody to see us being so foolish trying to get all this stuff off of our hands. And No, that's not it. Talking about authority. He's talking about authority. Someone who knows his God like those three Hebrew children. And using the force of authority in such a way that it causes the, the, the foundations of darkness to quake and to quiver. And you let the enemy know that you'll not tolerate that activity. In Acts 10.38 it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed, of the devil and some that were oppressed of God. I'm going to have to get another Bible. You keep saying no to some of these things. All right, well, let me just read it again. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Then, if all that Jesus healed were oppressed of the devil... Think about that. All that he healed were oppressed of the devil. Wouldn't you say that sickness then is satanic oppression? Amen. Quickly go back to Luke 13. I'm going to make you do some work today. Go on back there. 13.10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. 18 years. How many of you know you can't see a spirit of infirmity, but you can see its effects? And was bowed together and could no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. 
And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue was, believe me, wroth with indignation. Because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, who had her bound up? Whom Satan hath bound. She had rheumatoid arthritis. Bowed over. She could not in any way lift up herself. She's bowed over. It wasn't a matter of a physical thing alone. There was a spirit behind it. A spirit of infirmity had her bound up. Had her in bondage. And she couldn't get free from that. Someone had to shake the foundations of darkness. And Jesus did it for her. Praise God. Somebody had to cause the darkness to quake. And Jesus did it. Praise God. And to quiver. And he did. And when he did, she was loosed. She was free. Just like Paul shook himself loose, she was shaken loose and she was free. Being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And so we can make note of the fact that sickness and disease, this is the mindset that we have to have is either satanic oppression or satanic bondage. Now, not necessarily directly like hers was, but it can also be indirectly. What do you mean? I mean that Adam and Eve were the ones that fell, not us. So they are directly the cause of the entrance of sickness and disease into the world. And it may very well be that it wasn't your personal sin that caused it, but due to the fact of the fall, sickness and disease is in the world, and the very air we breathe is just flooded with sickness and disease germs. Now... It happens to be that we're walking on this earth in physical bodies that are not immune to any of that. And so as Paul, who was still walking in the light and, and not in, in sin in any way, was accidentally attacked or this venomous beast attached itself to him accidentally, he still had power and authority over it and he knew that. But you see, he can still attack that person. It doesn't mean that he lacked faith or anything like that. But because we're here, we're exposed to it. And we can be subject to it, and it can destroy us if we don't know how to do anything about it. But, once again, doesn't mean that we've done wrong. We have to understand that it's satanic oppression that comes either directly as a result of sin or indirectly as a result of the fall. But it's here, and we've got to contend with it. And that's why I say the fight is to the end, to the finish, till we finish our course. We'll always be engaged in this fight. There's not a time that comes and you say, well... Satan says, well, she's 70 years old. Now, I guess we can't touch her body anymore. Doesn't happen. He's always coming to steal, kill, to destroy. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. And too often we think because we're young, we've got our health and all that. I've been in children's hospital many times. It doesn't matter how, how young you are. You think Satan has any mercy? You think he has any concern for human life at all? None whatsoever. And you walk through a place like that in, in a Cleveland Clinic and places like that, and you can see what has happened to these, these bodies of young people. And you know that the enemy is no respecter of persons whatsoever. Doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how old you are. And in some cases, there are actual spirits involved in, in sickness and disease, just as in the case of this woman. I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Numbers. This is essential to our faith. 
in the book of Numbers chapter 21. Unlike the Apostle Paul, here we find that people were also bitten by fiery serpents with venomous poison. And that they were dying by the droves. But this was not accidental. This was as a result of their sin. And I want to make that emphatic. It was as a result of their sin, their disobedience, their murmuring, and their complaining against God. And in verse 6, well, let's, let's go back, back it up to verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Think about that. They were grieved because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent. And you have to always remember that back in the Old Testament... They always blame God for everything. How many of you know that the Bible is a progressive book? That light is progressive. And that means if you, if you try to study God in the Old Testament, you only have one view of Him. It's not that God was the one that caused the fiery serpents. When we put ourselves in a place of disobedience... We open up the door and God's hand, the protection, is, is removed. As, that, as a result of that, then the enemy is allowed entrance. And let's never forget that. Do you believe that you can take yourself out of the umbrella of God's protection through sin and disobedience? Read the Bible. I believe you know that it's true. That God could not do for those that He wanted to, the things He wanted to, as a result of sin and diso willful disobedience. And so his hand was removed. What about the, 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 the sinner in uh, Corinthians at the Corinthian church? Where it says, turn his body over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. New Testament revelation, beloved, helps us understand and gives us better perspective of the Old Testament. If through willful disobedience and sin, one is endangering his spiritual condition, then in God's love and mercy... And faithfulness, he will turn that flesh over to Satan for its destruction. Why? Because if not, then that spirit will be damned as a result of the flesh's influence over it. Do you see that? So God says, rather than have this one be lost for eternity, I'd rather him lose his flesh. Can you see that? So I remove my hand. Satan gets a hold of him. Starts destroying his body from without. You know, it's hard to fornicate when your body's dying. I mean that. When you can hardly move. When it's being eaten up by a disease. We kind of just get those kind of things out of our mind and we start thinking about serious matters and serious things. Can you, you hear what I'm saying? And in that state or condition, the person says, what have I done with my life? How have I sinned against my God? God, forgive me, I'm dying. And it's probably too late for me now to turn around. In some cases, it is. Because things have been set in motion and there's no turning it around. And that has happened. 
forgive me, and then they can be restored. Now, that fellow was restored because it was not too late, and he was healed. But the idea is that in God's mercy, can you see that revelation there? He turns them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Here is the same or a similar happening. The Lord allowed fiery serpents among them, among the people. And they bit the people, in verse 6, and much people of Israel died as a result. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Do you see that? Boy, it didn't take them too long to figure it out, did it? But in today's society, oh, not me. You know, we become indignant. I mean, we become arrogant and, and full of pride. I didn't do anything wrong. Couldn't be as a result of sin. You mean, you try to tell some people today around us in Christianity, you ever think it might be a result of your sin? Whew, look out. Now you're, you're, you're a hyper faith person that has no compassion. And you're judgmental and critical. What do you think Nathan said to David when he pointed the finger and said, You are that man. After David judged himself. Do you see that? I think sometimes we need to hear it. Shape up. That could be the result, the reason, the sickness could be the result of a sin. And we can't deny that. In cases, I'm saying in some cases... Not in all cases, but in some cases. Get, it, get, get before the Lord. Now listen. Therefore the people came to Moses and they said, We have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, I want you to see something clearly here, brothers and sisters. Here they said, pray to the Lord for us. How many times have we heard people say, Well, I'm sick, pray to God for me. You hearing me? Pray to God for me. We've all had that happen. We may have done it ourselves. Pray for me. Okay? Now listen. But the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone I want to heal, I will heal. Let me back up a, a bit. <laughs> and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when I do something for him, that everyone who is bitten, whoever calls the most prayer warriors, it's coming. Hold on. That everyone who is bitten, when they call the elders of the church with oil. Mm. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to say that one. <laughs> that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh, when he... <laughs> I'm getting that one out of my mind. When he... Everybody say, when I... <laughs> It, it's not a matter of what God is going to do. Do you see that there? It doesn't say God was going to do anything. God said, Moses, make a serpent. Put it on a pole. Everyone who is bitten, when he looketh. Do you see that? Not even when he prayeth. 
when he looketh upon it shall live. There's the pole, and here's everybody. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Let's go over here and put the poles over there. Help me. What's God waiting for? Set your gaze upon the pole. Look, that's what he told us to do. Now, I want you to see this. Here these people, as a result of sin, here Paul, who didn't sin, both got bitten by serpents. Both, others were dying. Others were about to die because they were bitten. Paul shook it off because he looked at the serpent on the pole. He developed his faith life and he knew his authority. So he shook it off. He reached the regions of darkness and broke the powers and rid himself of the effectiveness and the success of the poison, of the venom. These who even sinned, and I love this about God. God made provisions even for those who were bitten because of their sin. God is not condemning. Can you see this? Do you see that? His mercy is beyond our imagination, our comprehension. Even though they sinned, he said, but those who will look. And that's what we've got to start telling people. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Here's what happened. And Moses made a serpent in verse 9 of brass. He put it on upon a pole. And it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. That is a type. Hold that thought in mind, John 3.15. Quickly. Hold that thought in mind, John 3.15. That is a type. Back it up to John 3.13. He that looketh upon it shall live. If under the Old Testament, if these people could possibly be healed or delivered from the poison of the serpent... By looking at the type. And when that serpent was hung up on that pole, it was a type of Christ dying upon Calvary. That serpent is symbolic of the curse. Jesus was a curse for us. In verse 13, And no man, John 3, 13, hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, In the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Beloved, those that looked upon the type lived and were protected even physically from the poison of the serpent's bite. If that can happen by looking at the type, how much more can we expect as we behold the antitype? Jesus Christ Himself, who became the curse for us. How much more can we expect to look at Him and live? Too often we neglect that steadfast look at our Savior and all that He did for us on the cross and the price that was paid. And too often we're trying to feel for somebody else's faith or prayer support, believing that that can replace this. But I want you to see something here clearly. He said, 
He that looketh shall live. Beloved, in helping other people receive from God, we can't get their focus or their gaze upon any individual person or any group of people or anybody else's prayers. And although all that is welcomed and we thank God for it. But the person who is in need has got to be instructed to behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And what that person must see in his heart and mind's eye is that Jesus became the curse. Christ became the curse for us. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made the curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every man that hangs on the tree. Cursed was Jesus on that tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. We must see Jesus and behold Him on that tree as the one who was made sin for us who knew no sin. As surely He had bore our griefs and carried our sorrows or bore our sickness and carried our pains. In Isaiah 53, we are told that surely Jesus hath borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Say with me, surely. surely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Positively. Positively. Jesus bore my sickness. And carried my pains on the tree. That with His stripes, I would be healed. Now, Matthew's commentary. We have got, we've got theologians today, uh, Greek scholars today, they're trying to, and Hebrew scholars today. And they're trying to interpret Isaiah 53. And they're saying that it doesn't mean sickness and it doesn't mean disease. Well, you know what? I have learned that there's only one authority when it comes to Greek, when it comes to Hebrew. And that's called the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost, to the lips of Matthew, gave us his own commentary on Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. And you know what that commentary is? For those of you that don't, Matthew 8, 16 and 17, let's read it together. But you don't understand, brother. I've studied Greek. I've studied Hebrew. I've studied the Holy Ghost. And I've studied the Word of God. And look at eight sixteen. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. How many? Now, why? That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Now, what did Isaiah the prophet speak? What did he say? What did he prophesy? What did he predict? What did he point to in the future? Here's what he says. Saying himself took our infirmities. See, here's the thing about these commentators. Back in Isaiah, they won't put sickness and disease and they think they faked us out. Because it says griefs and sorrows. But if you look at griefs and sorrows in the Hebrew elsewhere, you'll find about 78% or higher of the time those words are interpreted sickness and pain. But in Isaiah 53, they took, they, they took that out. They didn't write sickness and pain. They put grief and sorrow. Tried to fake us out. But then to show you that if you don't have the understanding of the Holy Ghost, you give a, pe- a person enough rope to hang themselves. Matthew 8, 17 says... And they give you this interpretation. Himself took our what? And bore our what? Our what? Now here's the point about these commentators. I have a little M by took our infirmities. If you look at your M in your marginal Bible, it says Isaiah 53, 4. 
Well, they didn't fake us out, did they? Matthew said by the Holy Ghost that Isaiah said that Jesus on the cross would bear our sickness and carry our pains. Who are we going to believe? Today's commentator? Or are we going to believe the Holy Ghost through Matthew? Say it with me. Jesus bore my sickness. He carried my pain. This is the knowledge of the truth that makes me free and gives me faith to shake myself loose from the poison of sickness and disease. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thanks be to God. Can you see that? Thanks be to God. This is what gives us the foundation for faith and the authority that we need to shake ourselves loose. And if we would behold the Lamb and see that. Can you see if they don't believe that, you can't have faith for So it's not those that beat around the bush, so to speak, try to explain it away. Because they're not beholding, they're not looking at the serpent on the pole, are they? They're looking and saying, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. Oh, it doesn't mean that. Can you see that? No, but we come along saying, it does mean that. I'm beholding that Jesus bore my sickness. He carried my pain. And with His stripes, I was healed. He became the curse for me on that pole. I'm looking at it. I believe it. I take it to heart. Now, Satan, get your hands off my body. Can you see that? Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.